0: So we're continuing in our series about lost and found. Lost and found chapter in the in the Bible, Luke chapter fifteen. And uh remember I told you at the beginning of the series that I lost my suit pants in Ohio in a ponderosa? Crazy things happen in newfies, okay? I'm gonna tell you right now. They have been found. They weren't in, that's right, <laughs> I didn't want to go bear, buy another pair of pants, but uh, they've been found, they were found, it was kind of like the sermon I preached last week about the silver being missing in the house, they were missing in my house, they did come back from Ohio, but they didn't get put out of the garment bag, so I'm happy to t- report I found them. I didn't have a party like the lady did in last week's sermon, but at any rate, uh, th- we love it when we find something that we've lost. Doesn't matter what it is. I mean, it could be a loony or help us get that Tim's coffee or whatever, but we all appreciate finding something that's been lost. In the first two verses of Luke chapter 15, Jesus is, uh, given these illustrations for the purpose of those who are criticizing Him. There's, there was, uh, individuals criticizing Him because Jesus would spend time with the sinners and the publicans. Now, these would be the religious uppity-ups that didn't want anything to do with the publicans and the sinners, and they were stunned that he would receive such wicked and vile people in their eyes around him. And then Jesus gives us these stories that we've been looking at. And this next one we'll be looking at, too, is very famous. It's often referred to as the prodigal son. So with that, let's look at Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the portions of goods that followeth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all those, uh, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to the citizen to be a citizen of the country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he had come to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for another Sunday you've allowed us to have. And Lord, I pray that our hearts and minds will be focused upon your word. We live in a busy day. and Lord, help us to pause and focus on your word. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. So the prodigal son, I entitled my message, the lost son. Uh, again, Jesus is placing the emphasis on the value of one. Previous was an animal, right? The sheep in the beginning part, one out of a hundred. Uh, and then the illustration lost silver that we looked at last week, uh, that was one out of ten. And so that was objects and animals. Now it's a, it's a person. It's a person. It's getting real here now. And each time the object grows in value and more importance. Every soul is precious to God. Everyone is precious to God. Everybody. And, and we see some things here. Uh, first of all, a, a severe demand by the son in verses 11 and 12. So we, we're given a, a little detail here. A man had two sons. Okay? And then the younger son uh, comes to his father and demands his inheritance, the portions that follow to me. Uh, so the requests of the younger son for his share of the inheritance, okay? He comes and asks. Now, obviously, Jesus is speaking to Jewish individuals, and so the Jewish individuals would have been as familiar with the laws regarding this. And we're not going to go back and look in the verse in Deuteronomy, but in Deuteronomy chapter 21, it talks about this process uh, that he was entitled as the youngest son to receive one-third of the father's estate. Now, his request was legal, okay? Asking for it wasn't a problem. Uh, but it was cruel because of what he did with it. And in his own mindset, I believe, he was opposed to his dad the whole time. So uh, it was a cruel request. It was a shocking request. This fellow comes and says, give me my money, Dad. Give me my money. And it's not written in verse 12 that he thinks this way, but we can see how he spends the money and how he lives is indication of his heart. His indication of his heart is like, I want my money. I want to be free. I don't want to be around you. You're holding me down. I want to do my own thing. And if you say, well, I don't see that. Well, you should, well, the verses I read a little, a little later in this portion talks about how he's come to himself and realized I have been a fool. I need to go back to my father because I treated him wrong. And so he's, he, this is the reason that was a shocking request. And his attitude was, I wish you were dead, dad, so I could have all my money. Give me my money, Dad. He lives as if his dad's not around. That's what he desires. It was a selfish request. Notice it says, give me. Give me. Give to me. Focus on me. His life's all wrapped up about himself, and he doesn't care about anybody else. Especially not his father. He could care less how his father feels right now. He don't care. He wants his money. He wants the dividends, uh, from, uh, what was, he legally was allowed to have. He didn't care. Now his father was extremely gracious. I guarantee you that if I tried a, a stunt like this growing up in Newfoundland, I would get a good slap. <laughs> There's no way you're getting that money, boy. Go out and work again. You know, I'll get back in the dory and go catch some more fish, you know. <laughs> There's no way this money would have been given to me. But this this father was very gracious he he refused to honor that request or he, he honestly he didn't refuse he honored that request and here okay he merely does what his a son asks him and he gives that boy the portion that is lawfully his now the bible says and he divided unto them his living literally the father you know had poured his life into building an estate into building his business so one day he would hand over the business to his son. Uh, that happened in my own family. Uh, my dad got the business from his dad, my grandfather. So I, I understand this principle it happens. And he had built this up, built this up, and he was going to give it to his son. So this was, the idea here was going to give him the sum of all he's earned in his lifetime. He's going to give him one-third. I'm sure that was not an easy thing to do, to collect all that money, but he did. And he gave it to his son. You know, we get a picture here of an individual who is lost. A lost person takes no thought for God. He does not, he's not concerned about it. It The attitude is, give me, give me, give me, give me what I want, give me my, uh, the world, give me whatever I want, my desires. He doesn't want to live for God. When God made man, he literally poured his life into man in Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man of the breath, uh, dust of the ground and breathed into the, the uh, nostrils of breath of life. And man became a living soul. Every man at, that live upon earth, they're, they, they're, they consume the resources that God's created. Hey, we all did it this week. You bought gas, you bought food. If you didn't eat all week, let me know. I'll help you out after, okay? You need to be eating. All right, you know, you need gas to get around if you got a vehicle. You, you, you are, maybe you were out digging ditches, whatever the reality is, or putting up a fence or working, you, you consumed the resources that God has created. So many don't care about God. They don't want, they just want to take, they don't want to give. If you want to live like there's no God, you're, you're allowed to. There's no laws against that in the sense of the physical laws. You know, you can, you can live like that, and you can, you can live a life that doesn't acknowledge God, but one day you will acknowledge there is a God. Because one day we all pass away. I mean, I know we all got family members who've been around forever, you know, but that's not true. No one lives forever, and there's something after this life. We just don't evaporate, and there are no more. There's a heaven, or there's a hell. And you, you'll acknowledge at that time that there is a God. Number two is a hard reality. So he, he was pretty severe in his demand, and there was a hard reality. Uh, not many days after the young son gathered all together, maybe it took a little time for his dad to get everything together for him, and took his journey to a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. The son gets what he wants, but he soon finds all out that all that glitters is not golden. All that glitters is not golden. The reality of sin's pleasure. He takes his father's riches, which his father graciously gave him, and he squanders it. I mean, by living a wicked, self-indulgent life, that word ride is living refers to sinful, wicked. Okay, that's the way it is. In other words, this boy left home. No doubt his dad had rules. Most dads have rules in their home. This is the way you got to live when you're living at home. Okay, so he was under that umbrella of his dad. Then he left, and then he lived like he wanted. There was no rules. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live the way I want to. And there's no moral uh, restraint. There's no mom. There's no dad to tell me I'm doing wrong. And maybe he lived the way he thought he always wanted to live. I don't know for sure, but I know that he fled his. He fed his flesh. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. Did he have a good time? Yes, he did. He did have. He did have a fun for a while. A pleasure. I mean, I would be—I would be actually unbiblical to tell you that he didn't have fun because he did. But Bible says that there is pleasure for sin for a season. There is for a season. You know, aren't you so glad you came in this morning and it was like 24 degrees and sunshine? Is anybody excited about that? A few of you, okay. The rest of you want snow? That's coming, okay. Uh, but right now, this morning, I'm like, this is so beautiful. You know, yesterday I drove back and went down the Grand River on a tube. It was so much fun seeing all the, the beautiful creation and seeing the birds and things, the big storks. Man, it was great. Driving back in some country lanes, the nice trees, the nice leaves. It's wonderful right now. But in four months, I know you don't want to talk about it. It's not going to look like that, is it? Man, wouldn't it be great if it did. It wouldn't. It's not going to. Because the seasons change, right? I mean, there still might be some leaves on the tree, but it ain't going to be looking nice and green like it was yesterday. And we're preparing for winter. We're preparing for cold. Uh, So the idea is that there's a season that is pleasurable. Absolutely. Uh, I I, I have a lot of family who lived on the bottle. uh, From Newfoundland sailors, captains, and they lived on the bottle, they lived on the bottle, they lived on the bottle, and they died by it. I have numerous uncles passed away from diseases revolving around alcohol. Oh, they had a great time. They told me all about it. But it caught up with them. The season was done. And the idea of just pursuing, uh, you know, life for self. No thought of anybody else. It's all about me. It's all about me. I've read so many stories about men and women who have neglected their families to pursue money and their families were destroyed. They don't have a family. Kids don't want to talk to them. It's not worth it, folks. It's not worth it. And they all up in the same place. Yes, it's pleasurable for the moment. Yes, you you chase money. You might have a boat. You might have this. You might have that. But at the end of it, at the end of life, there's eternity. At the end of this life, there's eternity. And that's not going to help you in eternity. Who's going to help you is Jesus. Jesus is going to help you. Jesus. The reality of sin's price. So uh, he wasted it. And when he had spent all, verse 14, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Eventually his money ran out. The old proverb, I don't know who, I mean, I know it's kind of based in the Bible, but I don't know who coined it. It's definitely not original to me, but a fool and his money are soon departed. This is what happened here. He lost all his friends. They're not really friends, are they? A great lesson here for us about friendship as well. It's not about the money to be friends. Uh, So uh, just recently... It's amazing what money does to people. Just recently, a guy I went to Bible college with, hes pastors in Winnipeg, Manitoba, he went into like a Safeway, uh, a grocery store, I don't know if you're familiar with it. He went in there and they had a big sign that says, hey, you know, guess how many goals will be scored and by who the next time you can win a million dollars. He wrote down the name, how many goals. He was exactly right. He won a million dollars. He didn't bet. He was no gambling here. You know, it was just the idea that just make a guess. He made a guess. He went with a million dollars. Guess what? He had to change his phone number. He did. A friend of mine had phoned him and he, he said, listen, I'm just about ready to change my phone number. I'll give it to you. I have gotten nonstop calls from friends. Friends. He actually never gave me his phone number, so I guess I'm not a friend. <laughs> uh, but at any rate, the money makes you do weird and wild things and wicked things. And the reality is, he, his friends left him, he'd spent all the money, he was in the fire country, you know, he lived it up, he thought it was great, lots of singing, lots of great times, now he's in, he's weeping, sorrow now. He found that that sin carries a high price tag. He sees that it brings separation. He's broke, alone, and miles from his father. Miles from a father who had done nothing but love him. His dad loved him. By his actions, he's separated from that dad, from that father, because of his sin, his pride, his arrogance. You know, so it is with every soul that's lost in sin. We're separated from God in Isaiah 59 too. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, if that was all I was going to say today, it was a really depressing message, but I got great news. He loves you. He loves you. Jeremiah 31.3 says, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And then probably the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. But whosoever believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But their sin stands between, our sin stands between us and God. Sin brings sorrow. He began to be in want. Life had been turned upside down, right? He left that far country and it was all good. You know, he had to find whatever it was on the go at that time. When the music stopped, when the friends left, when the last penny was spent, this young man found out that he had some needs that he could not meet. He was hurting. His sin had robbed him of everything of value, and now he was hopeless and helpless in another country. It's bad enough to get stranded somewhere in Canada, not know anybody. It's been a couple of times when I've been flying across Canada, visiting friends or whatever, and I'm stuck in the airport and I don't know anybody in the city. It's like, I gotta stay in, I mean, that's not really that bad, right? Just stay in the airport. It's that not, not bad. But this guy here, he's in a different country and he is all by himself. He doesn't have a cent to rub together. I mean, he's got nothing. He's in want. And that's how sin treats us. It promises a lot, but at the end of the day, it delivers hopelessness and death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. I heard someone say it pays to serve or pay to live for God. And that's true. It's a great saying. It pays to live for God. Absolutely. But you know what? It pays if you live for sin too. It, It brings some horrible dividends. Broken lives, ruined marriages, shattered dreams, trusts that are damaged, sometimes beyond repair, health problems, hopelessness, depression, defeat, I better get to something encouraging because it all sounds really bad, doesn't it? It is all really bad. The reality is sin will take you further than you want to go. That's what will happen. The reality of sin's pain. Verse 15, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and went into the fields to feed swine. And when he had feigned to filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. Because of his foolish decisions, this boy found himself in a mess. I mean, this was a horrible mess. He learned some valuable lessons. First of all, he learned sin brings shame. So we have to remember the context of who's being spoken to here. Now, this message is for us, absolutely. But Jesus is speaking to Jewish individuals. All right? Uh, And to the Jew, the pig is unclean. All right? Swine. Mind you, I like eating pigs, so I'm, I'm glad it's on my eat list and not, not on theirs. Alright, it, it was on do not eat list. Jews weren't allowed to be eating that. They weren't allowed to be around it. It was, they weren't even supposed to have it. So for a Jewish man to stoop to the level where he, I mean, he'd have to be reaching from the very bottom to the, to the top of the bottom to get there. I mean, this is shame. This is a shame. And I can almost imagine, so Jesus is speaking this to a bunch of religious elitists. Who are very pious. You know, they don't talk to you unless they want something from you or tell you how you've done it wrong. And and so this, Jesus is speaking to them and he tells them how this young man is in with the swine. I can almost see their, their expressions change, a total shock. He's with the swine. I mean, that was totally, that that was repugnant. I mean, they would never do that. This was a shock and awe situation. Sin, Sin brings shame. Sin brings suffering too. No home. He's living with the swine. There's no home. There's no help. He talks about there's no man gave unto him. And there's no hope. No one cares for him at all. He's starving and would have taken, I mean he, he, he was looking after, he, he feigned after fill his belly with the husks. That the pigs were eating. And I'm sure that was not a really lovely looking delicacy that was getting fed to those pigs. This was disgusting, horrible, smelly food. And he was desiring it because he was so hungry. Do you think he suffered because of his choices? Absolutely. You know, sin brings sadness. No one cares for him. Isn't it a wonderful place to be where no one cares for you? No. You want to be a place where people care about you. You want people to be caring about you and helping you. He's alone. He is lonely. He is hungry. He is, he's broken. Sure, the pigs don't even want him there. I mean, he's looking at their food jealously. He wants to eat it. The pigs want him out of the sty. I mean, talk about being low. This is where he's at. You know, this is pretty sad. This is, this is the worst he can get besides death. And this is where the first step back home begins. Here, I mean, he had made some horrible choices, and and, and now he, he's he's living you know he, he's living out those consequences. And I'm going to tell you right now, in 20 years of ministry, I've seen some people make some really horrible decisions, and boy, it breaks your heart to see it happen. It breaks your heart. But we see a humble return, verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? A humble return to son realized, the son's realization, when he came to himself. So now, in my mind, now is a transition from being a boy, becoming a man. He's becoming a man now. He understands some things. And he understands This has been insane. He had not been thinking clearly what he's done. Now the fog lifts. Now, so growing up in in Newfoundland, I was lots of times, I'd see the fog in on the, on the water, on the bay. I mean, I knew where the mountain was or the other side of the bay was, but I mean, when that fog lifted, I could see clearly, right? So with this, the fog lifts with this man and he understands some things. He remembers how good he had it with his dad. With his father. And then he realizes that my father's hired servants have it better than me. I mean, they have bread and they have bread to spare. Seeing where you are is always the first step in getting to the place you need to be. You gotta see where you are. If you're just blindly going about doing whatever you want, you're not gonna go in the right direction because you're following no compass. You're just doing your desires of your heart, feeding your flesh. And the reality is, as an individual who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, we are blinded to our spiritual condition. 2 Corinthians 4. Forces, in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, so, if the wicked one would come to you and say, well, if you did all these bad things, and this would be the result that you'll end up in the... In the ditch, or you been up in poverty, or you have problems here and here, you wouldn't want to do it because you don't want to be there. So he's a bit deceitful, right? He fools you into thinking it's all okay, it's fine. You'll like it. There's no consequence. Well, there is. And the first step for us is to realize that our sin is the problem. Romans 3:23. For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. All of us have erred. We can try to be really good. And I don't think it's wrong to try to be really good, but trying really good is not going to make us good in the eyes of God. In the sense that we don't have sin anymore. But we all have sinned. You know, and we're in bondage to sin. We can't reform ourselves. It's not possible. So, but the idea is to recognize it. That's important to recognize it. And then the son's resolved, I will rise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and did and before thee I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He makes up his mind, I'm going home. I'm getting out of this pigsty. I'm getting out of here. He's tired of the life of the far country. He longs for the fellowship with the father again. He wants to go where he can be loved and fed and cared for. He wants to go home. Even if he makes up his mind to go home, he realizes what has, what he has to do. He sees his own unworthiness and he's willing to go home under any circumstances. He just wants to get out of the far country. He wants to get out of the pigsty. He wants to go home back to his father's house. Now we see a change in him. He left home saying, give me, right? Earlier in the past, he said, give me dad, give me, give me what's, what's rightfully mine. Now he, on the way home, returns home, he says, make me. That's different, isn't it? Give me, you make me. That's a difference. He didn't, he, he, he not wanted to, uh, just do anything. He wanted to be under the Father's authority. The, whatever you want, Dad, you do. He was even willing to be a, a hired servant. I, mean, I don't, if, even if you refuse me as a son, just let me be back as a hired servant. I want to go back. You know what? We see this boy, this man now, who's going to come back to confess his wrongs, to repent of his sin. Because this was sin, right? He, he, he did wrong. He absolutely did wrong. And he's returned to the Father. That's what every lost individual has to do. They, they have to, you know, turn from what they were looking at, repent, whatever they were serving, and repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Simple as that. Salvation is not difficult, it's not complex, it's simple. And, and this is what this fellow's doing. He, he's turning from what he was. He was under conviction, right? And, and that I can think in my own life when I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I was under conviction. I knew I had to make a choice. I knew I had to make a decision. And it had to be made. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He does that kind of work in our hearts. And verse number 20, And he arose and came to his father. He gets up. He's walking home. Have you ever uh, been going to a meeting? So you're on the way to a meeting. And maybe it's a really important meeting. Maybe it's like a life-changing meeting. And you know what you want to say, but you're practicing it. Come on, show hands. He's at that. Oh, come on. That's it? We're a weird bunch because I do it all the time. Okay. I got to talk to someone about it. like, no, oh, I need to say it that way. And I'm, and I'm talking, I'm talking my way through. I think this young man all the way home was talking this thing through. Not trying to make an excuse for himself. No. Nope. No, he, he knew he did wrong. But he was just saying, thinking, you got to say this to dad because I did wrong. I I want to make sure it's good. I want to make sure everything is right. I I mean, I need to say this. This is what needs to be said. He may be humiliated. He he might even be rejected. But he doesn't care now. He's going to go home and he's going to make it right. Hey, that's character. That's character. And the reason that he even got to that point is because of conviction. Because he knew he had done wrong. He come upon him, and he had to get it right. Happy reunion in verse number twenty. But when he when he was yet a far a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him, and the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring it hither to the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This young man who was heading home, he found a reception. He wasn't expecting this. This young man is headed home. Maybe his head's down. Uh, you know, I haven't met too many people who are really excited about going and say I'm wrong. People don't usually get too excited about that. Maybe he's just kicking some stones as he's walking home. Oh, man, I'm going to tell Dad I'm wrong. I know I'm right to do it, but this is not going to be fun. Maybe he's kicking stones. I mean, he's, he's definitely, I don't see him running, but he, he's walking there. He's getting things right. Then along the way, there's dad looking. He's on the front porch. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's front porch like we think front porch, but we all know what a front porch is, right? And we're, he's on that front porch and he's looking. And maybe it's a big long driveway, so he doesn't live in any uh, suburbia, okay? <laughs> big long driveway and he's looking and he's watching and he's seeing someone walking up. Is that my boy? Is that is that my son? Is that is that my youngest son? And he's there looking and longing for his son's return. And we, we don't, we're not giving the context if he did this every day, but I believe it frequently happened. And when he saw that son walking up that road that day, it was full of compassion and grace. And he received them back into fellowship. And, and, and you know, it's, it's a time of embrace. We'll look at that in a second. And the son gives his little speech in verse number uh, 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 21. Father, sin against heaven in thy sight, and no more worthy be called thy son. And that's all he says. The rest of the conversation is his dad. You know, his dad listened to him. He accepted apology. All right, let's get back at it, son. You're back in the family. You have repented. You have you have gotten things right with me. And we see that he ran back. He, he ran to his son uh, in verse number 20. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, again, we're not going to look back there. That's the Jewish law uh things. The reality is if there was a son who rebelled against his father and mother and brought shame to them, by the law of the Jews at that time, that son could be harshly punished. And even stoned. So these, again, remember the context. Jesus speaking to religious elites, they knew that as well. They were familiar with that law. And so now we see the Father runs the Son. So he's running to his son to embrace him, to accept him back. You're a good son, I love you. And he puts his arms around them, and he's like, You are back where you need to be. You're justified. You know, in First John 2 2 it says, and he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He literally interposes himself between God and his wrath and says, Hey, welcome back. That's what he does for us. If we accept Christ as Savior, that's what he does. We'll never, if we accept Christ as Savior, we never have to fear his wrath because we're part of the family. He's given right standing with God. Uh, and he's kissed in verse 20. Now, this is the idea of continually kissing. So uh, my grandmother and my grandfather, they're in their late 90s now, but back when they were in their 60s, they used to go to uh, Florida Man, that's a great place to go from Newfoundland in the wintertime, right? They go down there for six months, they come back. And my grandma always loved the really hot red lipstick. Alright? And I think she like put on a whole blab of it before we'd see us. And, uh, we'd walk in the room, and part of it was, what did she bring back for me this time? I mean, let's just be honest. As a kid, you're like, what kind of cool thing did you bring me from Florida? And, but the other part was, you did want to embrace grandma and give her a hug and stuff. Grandma continually kissed. She grab a hold of you. Blum, 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 blum. I'm sure I came out looking like I got massacred. I mean, with just red all over my face, and she's laughing to kill herself. I think she did it on purpose every time. But the reality is, she just. And, and guess what? I mean, part of me is like, oh, stop that, grandma. The other part is like, man, I'm so glad my grandma loves me. Right? Let's be honest. Don't worry, I'm not gonna go kissing on your neck after church or anything. All right. But we know what I'm talking about. We, that just brings, hey, she loves me. It's the ultimate sign of respect, and it's definitely acceptance by the father. You're in. You're home. Kisses him as much back into the family. First John one nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You no, know, the law demanded death, but grace stepped in, and sends out love and reconciliation. It's amazing. God's grace is amazing. He found restoration. That's what he found in verse 22. Bring forth the best robe, put on the ring, and shoes on his feet. So the robe is an indication of purity. Here stands the son that was in rags. I'm pretty sure he didn't have any money, so whatever he had left on was all he had for clothes. And he didn't look like the child of the father. He probably smelt too, but he definitely didn't look like it. So the father orders the best robes to be brought forth. The robe would cover up all the stain, the dirt of the pig pen, and the robe would make him look like his father. The robe served to erase the visible signs of the past. You know, when an individual realizes that they're lost and they accept Jesus Christ as Savior, they understand whatever they were doing before was wrong... They accept Christ as Savior, and they start serving Jesus Christ. They accept, they start serving Him. You know, it's amazing. At the moment of accepting Christ as Savior, we receive a heavenly robe from Christ. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels." Hey, we all been to some nice weddings and seen some wonderful, the bride coming out and we're just like, oh, she looks beautiful. Hey, that's what the Heavenly Father does for us. You find more reference to it in Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 to 14. And this righteousness is not the righteousness of good works or human goodness. The reality is, when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we're going to want to do good works. We're not saved because of our good works, we're saved through Jesus Christ. This is the very righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us, Philippians 3.9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which be of God by faith. Hey, when we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, all the pain and stain of our past is forever washed away, amen? Gone, forever. God will never bring it up. I'm sure we all have had people in our lives who remind us of things that we've done in the past that were wrong. Don't need to raise your hands for this one, all right? We all have those people who tell us, oh, you did that wrong when you were seven. I don't even know where I was when I was seven. You know, come on, give a guy a break. You know, the reality is there's lots of people who remember things that we might have done wrong. But When we go to Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive us, he doesn't remember them anymore. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's wonderful. That's grace. And that's what the Lord does for us. The ring is the privilege. It symbolizes privilege. After the robe came, the ring came. And that ring was a symbol of the son's uh, uh, sonship with the father and authority. The one with the ring could speak for the father. So if the father wasn't in the field and a decision had to be made, the son with the ring could make the decision and the servants would obey. Because he was an authority. The one that had the ring had access to all that belonged to the father. The one with the Father's ring was in position of great privilege. When an individual, when I got saved on April 1st, uh, 1996, when I accepted Christ as Savior, and I, in, in the terms that we're looking at here, came home to the Father, I was given great privilege. I was given great privilege. Behold, what manner the love of the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, we are the sons of God, now the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I've been given great privilege because I've accepted Christ as Savior. I have access uh, to the Father all the time. Just last night, I was praying about the service today. I was praying that visitors would come. I was praying that people would come want to hear God's Word and be encouraged. I have access to the Father through prayer. And not only that, I mean, I'm an heir with the Father, Romans 8.17, and children and heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer Him that we may also be glorified together. You know, I, I can come to the Lord and boldly, it talks about in Hebrews, I can come boldly and ask the Lord to help and guide and heal and provide and, and show us the way. I mean, I can do those things. I don't have to come timidly. I don't need to say... I don't come belling and yelling at the Lord either, but there's times in my own life, and there's probably been times in yours, when there's been a great burden, and you're in tears, your heart is heavy, and you come to the Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me. And I have access with the Father. That's a privilege. That is a wonderful privilege. and belongs to all those who know Him as the father, who are part of the family. The shoes, His position. That indicates His position. The Father calls for shoes to be brought for the the feet of his son. So the hired servants, they though they had bread to eat and spare, they wouldn't have shoes. The boy had returned, the man had returned, dressed, I mean, he was okay with just being a hired servant. I mean, that would have been fine. He would have just been happy to be back. But the father is determined to recognize the position of his son. In the eyes uh, of the son, he didn't deserve anything else but to be a hired servant. But the father sees him and says, you're my son. You're my son. And the father alone determines the position and worth of his children. He says, okay, here's your shoes. You're part of the family. You're my son. We found rejoicing as well. The fat of calf was kept for special occasions. The fat of calf was the father's way of sharing his joy with those around him. And there was joy in this father's heart. There was joy because previous that son was living a righteous life. He was living a wicked life. He was living a life that did not please anybody but his own flesh. Instead of a wasted life, now the father was celebrating a life redeemed, a life restored. My son has returned. This is wonderful. Rejoice with me. Kill the fatted calf. Let us rejoice. Every. That was missing in that pig pen was given to him when he returned to that son, to that boy, that man. Listen, you come to the place in your life you understand that you're lost and you accept Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm going to tell you right now, you have a relation with the Father that you never thought was possible. You're restored. That part of your life that's missing, something missing in your life, I'm going to tell you right now that what's missing is Jesus. Jesus, there's rejoicing in heaven. We have looked at other uh, portions of Scripture in this chapter, where uh, you know when the shepherd found that lost sheep and he returned home rejoicing. When that lady found that lost silver uh, piece, she rejoiced and called people for a, a party as such. And now the father is rejoicing and the, and the and the home is rejoicing. Listen, in heaven there's rejoicing over one who comes to Christ. Now, the story of the prodigal son is pretty pretty well known. There's no doubt about that. Even people who don't frequent church very often, they probably heard of it or heard part of it. There, there's, a, there's a few stories in the Bible out there that people know about. I understand that. This morning, where are you? Now, besides being in church, I know that. I don't need the obvious. You're in church. But where are you spiritually? Where are you? Have you accepted Christ to Savior? I'm going to tell you right now, that's the greatest decision you'll ever make. You'll change your life. And it's a decision that you need to make. It's amazing what will happen. And you might say, well, you know, I haven't made that decision. Well, I plead with you to earnestly pray about that decision. Because it will, again, change your life. And maybe you're here and you say, well, Pastor, I've made that decision. I've I made that decision. I've accepted Christ as Savior. Well, praise the Lord. Hey, isn't it wonderful to be reminded once again how great our Savior is? And he's done some wonderful things for you. And maybe you're here and, you know, uh, this portion of Scripture has often been used to uh, preach about those Christians who may be wayward. Who are not doing as the Bible says. Now, I believe that's a great application. I believe the true interpretation is lost. But I think it's a great application to encourage people to come back to the Lord. And let me encourage you. Maybe you're drifting away from the Lord. Maybe you're not where you need to be. Come on back. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that that, that 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 very vivid picture of the Father standing, waiting. He's waiting for you. Where are you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I would certainly urge you to make decisions for Christ. It would be salvation or maybe you're away from the Lord. I don't know where you are. I don't know hearts. The Lord does. And be honest with Him. Dear Jesus, thank you for this service we've had. And Lord, as we close with this song in just a moment, Lord, I pray that you encourage our hearts, Lord. First of all, to know you as Savior. And then second of all, to be serving you and doing what's right and giving you the glory for what you've done. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.